How about these battling bucks? Bounce left side, picked by Hayes. Throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana. What a double play. Gonna try and score, no, he's held up, and now they've got a double play chance. Rodriguez will throw to second, here comes the throw back to the plate, and they do it! Yes. What a job! What a job! Bounce left side, picked by Hayes, throw to second one, to first, picked by Santana! What a double play! Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the 412 Double Play Podcast. Finally get to talk post-Pirates Fest, which was wild in a bunch of ways, at least from my perspective. But I am your host, Michael Castrogano. We are less than a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting for spring training, about six weeks from games starting in Bradenton, 10 weeks until regular season kicks off. Bunch of stuff to talk about today. Uh, I'm covering it all solo. Unfortunately, my... My usual co-host wasn't able to make it today, and uh, we're just going to run it with just me. But you know what? I've got all cover, so let's jump into it, starting off with Pirates Fest. So if you weren't there, crazy packed with people. Everyone I talked to was in really good spirits, excited about the team this year. Uh, I mean, it makes sense if they're willing to brave the elements to come out. They must be passionate. But the energy from the front office, the brass, the Q&A with Travis Williams, Ben Sherrington, and Derek Shelton seemed like they were more confident that, uh, than at least the online portion of the fan base about the upcoming season. Um, Shelton even had alluded to multiple times competing for the division title, saying that it was something in reach. I took some video of some of the responses, posted it to my Twitter. If you haven't seen or heard that stuff yet, um, definitely go check that out. They did take questions from the audience. That was something that obviously the online fan base was concerned about, which is understandable. They did about 50-50 with that, taking some questions. And I, the concern overall was that they would only be taking softball questions, either from the fans, having plants, air quotes there, or having um, pre-screened questions regarding what they were going to discuss. It wasn't really the case. I, I mean, you can decide for yourself as far as the responses they gave. I felt that Charrington's answers were pretty typical word salad speak, which is the only thing I've ever heard from him. He's never been direct with an answer, which is what it is. It's, you got that expectation. But Shelton was very straightforward. Uh, Travis Williams talking about uh, different things that fans can expect for the season and uh, upcoming as far as like investments and things that like you that he has control over that you expect him to say, expect to hear. It was a lot of positive stuff. Um, but by and large, the message was of optimism. 
players seem to be on that page too. I wasn't able to stay and uh, see too much of the forums due to the snowstorm, but the impression I got from what I was able to take in from what I heard happened after I left was that it was a message of hope, message of positivity, and that's from the top down. I will say, I and I mentioned multiple times, I'm on the east side of the state. I stayed overnight uh, Friday into Saturday at a hotel. Didn't expect the snowstorm to be as bad as it was. Took me 10 hours to get me and Ed, Ed, Ed and I, from Pittsburgh to Wilkes-Barre, which is where Ed lives, dropped him off, and then back home to Bethlehem. It's normally like four, four and a half hours to, to do that with a couple stops. I made one stop, got gas, and then just didn't want to stop after that. It, it was just awful. I mean, I don't regret the trip, but kind of regret not staying another night to just be able to take in more from the events, be able to talk to more players because they were walking around. So that's something that I'm definitely going to take into um, keep in mind for next year. But overall, I think it was a really good event. It was mostly geared towards kids. If you have young kids, uh, like maybe four or five years old uh, to like 14, because then you get to do the autograph sessions. But even older than that, they had so much stuff between running the bases, um, batting cage, pitching cage. They had an Xbox or PlayStation, something, they video game set up so you can uh, play video games with current pirates. Mitch Keller was in there. Brian Reynolds was in there. Um, I think a number of other players cycled in at different points. So, like, it, it's a really cool kind of humanizing event for the team, for the players to, to bring them down to earth. So, so you're really able to relate with them in that way. So I, overall, I think that the PR beforehand put a, a shadow on the event. And the event itself, I feel like, really came out a lot better as a result. <laughs> because expectations were, were tamped down so much. But overall, I, I feel like it was a really positive event. So hopefully sometime I could bring my son if he gains an interest in baseball and doing that kind of stuff. Other news this week, arbitration, Pirates were able to come to terms with all of their arbitration eligible players ahead of this past week's deadline. Um, the A number of them were done a couple of months ago, but David Bednar, Edward Olivares, Connor Joe, Mitch Keller all agree to numbers. The settlement doesn't preclude them from the team from returning to contract talks with Keller prior to spring training. From what has come out of the organization, the camp, Talks have been tabled for the past couple of months. There is interest on both sides to get a deal done. As of right now, that does not seem to be the case. If you're watching on video, I do have the current arbitration numbers with the projections down below. So you can definitely check that out for, <laughs> for reference as far as what they got versus the expected. A number of them got a lot less than the expected values, which is kind of surprising. Uh, additionally, Max Kranich who was designated for assignment to make space for the Martin Perez signing, which finally happened, what, a month later? A couple, Not a month, but three weeks later. So Kranich was designated during our recording last weekend, last Friday, and he was picked up off waivers by the New York Mets. So Kranich missed most of the 2022 and 23 seasons while recovering from Tommy John surgery, most remembered for pitching five perfect innings in his MLB debut. and. There was a lot of promise there. So best wishes, happy trails to Kranich. 
hope all the best. He's he's a local kid from the Scranton area, so up by me. But uh, going to New York, that's not too far from his hometown. Other news this week, also not so great. Uh, this past week, J.J. Cooper from Baseball America released an article with graphs breaking down pitching, drafting, and development across baseball dating back to 2012. And the Pirates were finishing at or near the bottom in almost every metric. And then in addition to that, former Pirates pitcher Jamison Tyon, who's currently with the Cubs, was on an episode of Foul Territory. Uh, he made some comments that were in part goaded by, I think, the host being uh, former Pirate himself, Eric Kratz. But uh, the comments themselves did not put the Pirates' pitching methodology in a great light. Who's relating back to some comments made, uh, some teaching made back when he first came up. And a lot of that was in like the, the older regime, Neil Huntington uh, as the GM, uh, Ray Searage, pitching coach, a, a lot of the um, theories there, pitching up and in and trying to back guys off the plate. Not great, but both that incident and the article from Baseball America speak to the higher problem that the Pirates have struggled to draft and develop arms despite having top draft positions. And according to comments from the Pirates themselves at Pirates Fest, being a top five team investing in development. And it's hard to argue with that as a number of pitchers performed better once leaving here or straight up never performed well anywhere. More of an indication that they, they weren't not a great prospect to begin with. Um, so it, the, the success stories, especially in that now 12 year time frame, are not great. We've, we've got some pitching prospects. It's, it's very top heavy uh, pitching. Well, not even top heavy. It's, it's a lot of um, talented pitching prospects in the farm system, in this organization, who I think <laughs> whose success will, will be critical in determining this organization's success in the near future. And obviously, we're a couple weeks away from doing our top 30 prospect list. It's weighing on me. I'm really excited to get into it. I'm going to hopefully have a couple of friends jump on to probably critique my top 30 picks during our three-episode run. But yeah, there, there's a lot of really great pitching prospects who you hope are going to be successful. And obviously that all schemes at the top, Jared Jones, Bubba Chandler, Anthony Salamito. I mean, a number of other guys like Hunter Barco, Michael Kennedy. Again, I'll be getting through that with our top 30 episodes, but uh, hopefully that does turn and we become more of a pitching success story eventually. So <laughs> transitioning to our main topic for this week, as I'm just talking to myself anyway, we're doing starting pitching, breakdown of all, all of the options currently for the rotation. I'm not going to be going into discussion on the guys who may come up mid-season, like Jared Jones, Paul Skeens. I mean, they're guaranteed they're not going to be making opening day roster unless so many things go wrong that you don't want them up on opening day. But... Looking at the starting rotation, I was hoping that we would have added another arm ahead of Pirates Fest or even this past week has been radio silence. So right now, 
I've got seven names, seven guys who I want to talk through. Fans are probably familiar with all of them at this point. The first one is Team Ace, Mitch Keller. You guys know Mitch Keller. Keller posted strong season, 194.1 innings, 32 games, 4.21 ERA, 1.25 whip, 210 strikeouts, 55 walks, uh, fielding independent pitching of 3.80, an expected fielding independent pitching of 3.70, and he garnered a 3.3 F-war in that season. Now, it was a strong first half of the season. He had a 3.31 ERA, 129 strikeouts over 117 innings heading into the All-Star break. Uh, opponents hit just 220 against him. The second half, I, I don't know, getting out of his momentum kind of shifting from there. Second half of the season, 5.59 ERA, 81 strikeouts in 71, uh, 77.1 innings pitched. Opponents hit 288 against him. Got worn down. It was the most innings he's pitched in his MLB career. It was a big spike from the previous year, which was a big spike from the year before that. We're going to have more rotation options around him. Ideally, he can be more durable, relied upon less for super long outings. Uh, He also was significantly better at home, which is something I I discovered while researching this. He had a 2.90 ERA over 90 innings pitched at home at PNC Park versus a 5.35 ERA away from PNC Park. So, and that was in 104.1 innings. So I think ideally you're hoping for a situation where Keller isn't going to be relied upon as much because that really weighed down on him. I mean, honestly, they kind of risked having their only two starters who are remaining at the end of the season in a Tommy John situation. And it's unfortunate that it happened to even one of them, but it really could have ended up happening to both of them because that's a lot of innings, a lot of pitches to put on these arms that weren't necessarily built up for it. So I think that we can hope for some good things for Keller heading into the 2024 season, and hopefully an extension is among them. Number two on the list, Martin Perez, recent signing, recent addition made official. After a strong 2022 season, Perez fell back to earth a bit, ending up in the bullpen for the World Series champions, Texas Rangers, a 140. Uh, 141.2 innings pitched, 20 games started, the rest of them in the bullpen, 4.45 ERA, 1.40 whip, 93 strikeouts, 49 walks, and a FIP of 4.99 versus expected FIP of 4.96. Not very different. Actually overperformed his expected metrics there. I will say, and this is not going to bode well for him as a starter, Posted a 2.70 ERA over 33.1 innings as a reliever, including a 1.50 ERA from August 28th through the end of the season, which was eight or nine appearances, typically multi-inning. He did post a 2.89 ERA over 196.1 innings in 2022. That's a line he's unlikely to replicate. It was a really strong season. A lot of it was predicated on some luck. It is possible that I move out of a, a hitter-heavy AL West. you got to think about what kinds of teams are there, what kind of talent offensively. And into a Southpaw-friendly home park, the kind of competition he's facing isn't going to be as stark, isn't going to be as dangerous. We're facing a lot of AL teams, and um, the 
stronger bats that maybe are in play over there than he would normally. And hopefully that helps him even improve from his career norm numbers, which is probably about like a 4-5 ERA, which is fine. That's really not what you're hoping for a number two, but you also are not expecting him to be number two the entire season. Number three, though, (laughs) on this list is Marco Gonzalez, and he experienced some injury issues in 2023, eventually requiring surgery to decompress the, and I got to read this exactly, anterior interosseous interosseous nerve. Don't come here for my medical jargon. I don't know it. He was traded from the Mariners to the Braves, and then, of course, to the Pirates, kind of a cash dump in uh, both situations. This offseason, we did see video this past week throwing at driveline, both um, doing regular pitching motion. And then uh, I think Saturday, trying to think, recently we did see more video came out of him throwing the ball and it had uh, his velocity. And even though he's just throwing at a wall, it was, we were seeing 94 light up there. So if, he can get back to the velocity that he was at before. If he can improve upon that, that's crazy how much that can help him. So hopefully that can happen. The track record for this procedure that he had with um, decompressing a nerve in your forearm, basically, well, this forearm, but um, it's limited. You've got like Brandon Morrow, I think. For how many people remember him and a handful of other guys. Morrow was actually the biggest success story that I was able to find on that because he pitched for a number of years afterwards. But this isn't like Tommy John where it happens all the time to everyone. It doesn't look like this is a critical issue. He does seem okay. I talked to someone on Twitter this past week who had kind of provided advisement on this kind of surgery, the recovery. And unfortunately, I'm sorry, I, I don't have... Twitter handle, but I really appreciated the conversation. Uh, he said that he had had the surgery or a similar surgery, actually, I think a more intensive procedure, and explained that the video wouldn't be showing it, exactly issues that may be having, so that him not being worn down, him being able to like throw, it would show more afterwards. So having that subsequent video and seeing the velocity numbers, I don't know if we're going to see like a lot of 90 to 100 pitch appearances from Gonzalez, but he, you know, might give us 70 to 80 pretty solid pitches. Looking at his time last year, which was obviously compressed due to the injury issues, 50 innings pitch, 10 games, 5.22 ERA, 1.46 whip, 34 strikeouts, 18 walks, FIP over XFIP of 4.28 and 4.83. Small sample size, grain of salt on that stuff. If you look at his previous two seasons where he was healthy, was able to pitch from 21-22, Gonzalez posted a 4.05 ERA, 326 innings pitch, 211 strikeouts, 92 walks. He's a precision pitcher. That's really awesome. We don't kind of have one of those right now. 1.26 whip. If he can return to those kind of numbers or close to it as our three, that, that would really be a boon in helping to stabilize this rotation because it's a lot of question marks after that as far as how it looks heading into 2024. 
another reason I was hoping we were going to get somebody else signed. But our four and five, and I've kind of got this as a, a toss-up because I'm, I'm not sure how they're going to play this. I've got four names here. Bailey Falter, Luis Ortiz, Rowanzi Contreras, and Quinn Priester. And it's hard to say exactly how those last two spots in the rotation turn out. Falter and Contreras are both out of options. So they kind of have to be in the rotation or in the bullpen, or they're at risk of getting designated for assignment. It's possible Ortiz and Priester start the year at Indy, get comfortable, hold back his depth. Ortiz, they both have things that they need to work on. I'm going to be covering that, obviously, here. It's also possible another move is in the works. I mean, I've heard rumors, but rumors typically have not turned into anything when it comes to this organization. Usually when news drops, it comes out of nowhere, like when the Kutch news happened last year. That was, I mean, exciting, but just came out of nowhere. Uh, but looking at the options that we have for our four and five, Bailey Falter last year, 80.2 innings pitch, 5.36 ERA, 1.31 whip, 60 strikeouts, 20 walks, FIP over XFIP of 5.25 and 4.56. So he actually underperformed his advanced metrics. He doesn't have a great ground ball rate. I think it's at like 30%, 32%, something like that. And he has an elevated home run to fly ball rate, at least this past season. It was up towards 20%. So he's getting more batted balls in the air, and more of those balls that are in the air are leaving the park, which is surprising because he's a lefty pitching at PNC Park half-ish of the time when he should be giving up a lot less home runs. So I will say that when he did split time in the bullpen as a bulk starter, having an opener like, um, this is when it's good to have Ed on, but having somebody pitch that first inning and then he comes in for two through six or two through five, something like that. He actually performed really well. I don't know if they're going to continue with something like that, but uh, as a bulk starter, he pitched 17.2 innings with a 1.02 ERA, 15 strikeouts to three walks. So it's possible they do something like that. Maybe like Kyle Nicholas opens or Colin Selby. So we don't have Andre Jackson anymore. I, I mean, there's a couple different options that they can kind of employ to potentially make that work. Having a righty as the, the starting pitcher and then switching to a lefty. I, I'm not sure how they, they want to play that. But from what I've heard right now, Falter is someone who's in their plans. I have have to think that he's someone who's going to be in the rotation unless they make several considerable moves between now and you know end of March. Number two on my list is Luis Ortiz. Last year, 86.2 innings pitch, 4.78 ERA, 1.70 whip, 59 strikeouts, 48 walks. Rex FIP 5.57 to 5.38. So he didn't post the worst raw numbers. It definitely felt like he did worse than he actually did. A lot of concerns. Average exit velocity and hard hit rates were all were both in the bottom 1% in all of MLB. He had a, a strong fastball velocity. It was down because he was touching triple digits in 2022, and it was more like 95, 96 this past season most of the time. 
he also had solid ground ball rates, but the, that the effectiveness of all of his pitches went down. It should be noted he did increase his sinker usage. It was 15% in 2022, went up to 28.3% in 2023, kind of continuing that sinker-heavy push from this organization, which is weird because that was something that was very heavily pushed in the prior regime with the aforementioned <laughs> pitching coach Ray Searage. Uh, but this offering didn't actually fare as poorly as his four-seamer. Opponents batted 392 against it and slugged 722 off the pitch. So, as I mentioned earlier, I think it would probably be beneficial for Ortiz to start with Indy, see if he can reclaim the spark he showed in 2022, maybe try to work on some of his off-speed pitches and locating overall his pitches better. Because 48 walks in 86.2 innings is really bad. His his walk rate was one of the worst in all of baseball. So that's something that he'll definitely need to work on. And Indianapolis, unfortunately, might just be the place he needs to do it. Next one up, Rowanza Contreras. Last season, 68.1 innings pitched, five, uh, 6.59 ERA, 1.57 whip. We had uh, 55 strikeouts to 32 walks, FIP over XFIP of 5.19, So similar to, Contre- similar to Ortiz, Contreras was a solid contributor, bright future not that long ago. Unfortunately, Contreras didn't change his pitch mix, and overall he was just getting hammered. If you look at the metrics from 2022, it looks like he was getting lucky, wasn't really locating well, but his, his velocity did drop. Quite a bit. He was mostly going fastball slider. Fastball usage did dip. I think he threw the slider more than that fastball. But both pitches velocity was down. In 22, he was averaging 95.6 on the fastball. That dropped down to 94.3 in 2023. And each of those pitches were overall less effective. Hitter slugged uh, 359 against the slider in 23 versus... 273 and 22 and last year against his fastball they were hitting excuse me they were slugging 598 against it up from 541 in 2022 so looking at expected values only his slider was working less effectively as he increased his usage uh less effectively than it had previously but he also was throwing a curve and a changeup that were not really working for him. They're kind of in like the 10 to 12% range in frequency. And I think that he'll need to work the fastball better in order to make those pitches more successful. If that makes sense. Basically everything plays off the fastball. And unless you completely drop the fastball, which is actually what I'm going to suggest for the next guy, you aren't going to be successful with your off speed and breaking pitches because it's easier for hitters to be sitting back on like the 85 to 90 if they're not looking for 99 up in their eyes. So if there's something that's wrong with him, he down to uh, Bradenton. He was working in the training facility down in Florida for a long time last year. I, I don't even know if he ever came out from there besides doing some like bullpen work. But if there's something wrong, hopefully they can figure it out in spring training. Or I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. If it's like a pitching motion, if it is, if it was an injury and he needs to like take some 60 day time, 
but it's something they got to figure out as soon as they can. Finally, last person here, Quinn Priester. Last season, 50 innings pitched, 7.74 ERA, 36 strikeouts, 27 walks, FIP over XFIP, 6.74, 5.10. Actually working on an article dissecting Priester because his secondary stuff worked really well last year. Like, check out his baseball savant page. It's, it's kind of confusing because his fastball was crushed. 818 slugging against. That's that's really bad. If you look at his numbers and his ERA first time through the lineup, 3.63, second time through 7.53. Typically didn't go a third time through, but I think it was like eight point something once they saw him a third time. Um, so first time through the order, he was handling hitters, which is great because he does have some good stuff. The fastball was down. It was in the high 90s at different points in his minor league career. It was averaging around 95 or 94, something like that. I don't know. It's right here. But um, it, it just he was, wasn't locating it well. He also gave up 12 home runs in that 50-inning stretch last season. Um, I was able to talk to him for a quick minute at Pirates Fest, which I was able to talk to him more or um, – like overall talk to him regarding the um, article that I'm writing. He admitted that he got too robotic last year and needs to rework some stuff in order to become more effective with his pitches. As I mentioned earlier, likely heads back to Indy works on getting his confidence back, working on tunneling his fastball better. If, if he can't, I mean, he's some, I think added a sinker. He, he's got a, a bunch of different pitches that he's throwing there. So it's possible that a number of different things could go right for him. And he, he gets back up. If he's able to locate the fastball better, get some velocity on it, tunnel it better. So it's a little bit more deceiving. It's possibly he was tipping pitches. And that was something that they're looking at, at changing. I haven't gone back and, and looked at like video of it. That's not something that I honestly have the time for, but uh, hopefully that's something that he can get right. Because like I said, he's, there's a lot of uh, quality there, a lot that Priester can bring to the organization. And so that's something that we're going to want to look for overall. So if you have any thoughts on the pitching uh, rotation, if there's any other names that I missed here, as far as uh, rotation arms out of the gate, go ahead and let me know comments or, you know, respond to me either Facebook or Twitter or like wherever, <laughs> but uh, international signings is the next topic. Last thing before we sign off today, international signing period officially opens today. As you're listening to this, or as you have listened to this, it, January 15th, Pirates are connected with two of the top 50 prospects per MLB pipeline. Braylon Brazoban, who's an outfielder. He is the 38th ranked on MLB pipeline. 43rd per fan graphs, and, as well as shortstop Abdul Feliz, who is 50th on pipeline and 22nd per fan graphs. Um, take the rankings with a grain of salt. I think that part of that is as far as how much they think they're going to get paid in a signing bonus, because both of them are ranked as like a 50 overall, like future value. And it's 
it's limited as far as how much they really provide there. So Feliz is 16. He'll turn 17 next month, February 23rd. Switch hitter, six foot, 160. Who knows how much of that is correct? Because Brazzaban, they also have at 6'1", 180 pounds. He's 17 years old, won't turn 18 until September. And he is, uh, bats lefty, throws lefty. But like they, speedy, um, developing bat, it, it's really not much that they can provide here that is going to be anything different. He's from, I believe Brazzaban's from the Dominican Republic and Feliz is from Venezuela. But I probably shouldn't be saying that because I don't have the information right in front of me here. So very possible that the Pirates announce and confirm either or both of those signings this upcoming week. There could also be additional ones, but the international signing window, the, the benefit that teams like the Pirates gain from that, that's where they pick up players like uh, Shang-Chi Chang, Yordani De Los Santos, uh, Shailen Polanco, Po Yu Chen, a bunch of names that you may not know right now, but they're up and coming in the farm system and could provide enormous benefit down the road. And it's a crapshoot because there's been a number of different players who the Pirates have sent, spent an enormous amount of money on. And we heard, oh, this is going to be a great player one day. And they fizzle out and they leave in minor league free agency having never finished high A ball. And that's kind of a, a risk that you take with this stuff because you, you're picking teenagers. And teenagers are not fully formed. So hopefully that's not going to be the case with these guys. But we're not going to know for a number of years, honestly. But uh, that wraps it up for all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast. I do have some new news um, with regards to the blog, my writing that I'm doing. I mentioned the article before. That's going to be with uh, Steel City Pirates. Gary's recently rebranded it. So it's going to be Steel City Pirates. He's writing articles. Um, Ethan Smith of Lockdown Pirates. We also have a couple of other people who are in there. Uh, Justin Verno, Corey, uh, <laughs> Corey Schrader, and uh, Josh Booth of Rich of October recently has signed on. And hopefully I'm not like letting the cat out of the bag, but he's going to be working with us. So really excited for the team that we have there, the group of writers, hopefully going to be getting a lot of content. Gary's recently promoted me to co-editor-in-chief. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna see how that goes, but really excited to continue working, writing on uh, some articles, and providing you guys with some hopefully interesting content. We're not doing ads. We're not making any kind of money from it. This is purely because we are fans ourselves and we enjoy doing this. And Gary has a lot more free time than me because you, you see his um, five thoughts at five, and he posted an article today sunday uh about jack sawinski after he posted another article on friday so if you haven't subscribed yet steel city pirates i'll have the link in the um bio below definitely check that out but you can follow me on all social media at 412 double play uh link is in the description for uh all of that information continue listening to the show on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Odyssey, uh, wherever else podcasts are found. I'm not really sure myself. I, I just listen on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. So those are the ones I definitely know. 
Uh, make sure you subscribe so you get notified when we drop our new episodes. And from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. <laughs>